0: Thank you very much indeed. It's nice to hear Acts chapter 2 spoken in Shakespearean. Verily. I'll leave that. Father, I would ask in the name of Jesus that you would be very close to us today. I need to move this. Are you doing okay? Thank you, Father, that you can hear us, (laughs) clearly. We'd ask that you would be very close to us today. I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, be we those who speak or those who listen, uh, and that you would protect us uh, and all, all those members of the church who are here or not here today, all around us, guard us, Fill us, anoint us, and use us. Any more adjustment needed to this? Sorry? Yeah. Okay? Recently to me. Remind me, what was it called? Have a think about it. Don't worry, you kindly sent me the link and then I forgot it not a subject necessarily that we would think uh, too much about uh, I guess who thinks that god has ever spoken to them in a dream the time this is really a four week series but condensed into a few minutes do you have to be fully asleep to dream Is there a difference between dreams and visions? Both are talked about in the scriptures, aren't they? See, I'm not giving any answers today, I'm just giving questions. (laughs) Why do you think God sometimes chooses to speak to us through dreams? Interesting. Interesting. how should we go how should we approach the interpretation of dreams it's quite crucial who would you go to for help or confirmation of the interpretation of your dreams i'm just throwing these out really are they foolproof are they always from god Why do you think that Muslims appear to be more open to such spiritual manifestations than many Western Christians? We're getting into scary land now, are we? Should we aspire to dream or just accept them when they come along? Take one of those questions and just speak to someone next to you for 30 seconds. Or listen to someone next to you for 30 seconds. Super, so you've sorted out the theology of dreams, wonderful. See what I mean about a four-week series, can't you? Biblical dreamers, Old Testament, all these people uh, recorded as having dreams. Some of them um, are better known stories than others. In the New Testament, these people... Had dreams, and as we've just had read to us in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter quoting from Joel, prophet in the Old Testament, talked of uh, when the Holy Spirit comes that uh, sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, and old men will dream dreams. So maybe there is a difference between visions and dreams. And just with reference to what I said about uh, the Islamic community, you may be aware that there's even websites dedicated to something that's been happening a lot in recent years, which is that Jesus has appeared as a man in white to hundreds of Muslims uh, to, uh, t- to reveal himself to them. If you like Based on Luke chapter 9, if you remember Transfiguration, he was praying his appearance changed his clothes, became as bright as a flash of lightning. And these days in dreams and visions, Jesus is appearing to hundreds of Muslims as the man in white. It's quite a legitimate question to ask to a um, God-fearing Muslim. Have you seen the man in white? opens up a few opportunities, doesn't it? If we know what we're doing. Dreams. Having clearly become a Christian when I was eight years old, it wasn't very long, probably a year or two, before I began to daydream repeatedly about going to faraway lands and telling people about Jesus. The dream always involved me speaking from a stage or a platform. I would have this dream so regularly that the images, even the details and the colours became well established in my mind's eye. And then my unassuming reason would come guiltily to its senses and I would apologise. I'm sorry, Lord, I would say, I'm dreaming dreams that are far too big for me. I'm just your servant. And with that, I would bashfully push away the dream until it would stir up inside me again on another day. And in recent years, I've told this story to people in many nations and cultures all over the world. And I conclude by telling my audience that God actually responded to the dream rather than to the apology. So in 2009, I told this story in Attiak small rural town in northern Uganda. I was leading a team of UK volunteers that had journeyed there to learn about the water and sanitation programs that were supported by my employer, Samaritan's Purse. We visited the Connect Africa Resource Centres, or CARC Centres, in northern Uganda, one of which is situated in the mainly Akolai village of Atiak, just 20 kilometres south of the South Sudanese border. Atiak is a small town made world-famous by two massacres, one in 1995 and another a decade later, when the Lord's Resistance Army, the LRA, attacked and killed an unknown number of its adults and children. Local people told us they showed no mercy They torched the houses, they raped and butchered. We heard stories of how children had been rounded up and and forced to eat the chopped up remains of their headmaster before being killed and the parents told that if they took the bodies for burial, they too would be murdered. Consequently, the rotting remains of their children lay down the road at the school for months. Ours was a team of 12, the ten guys slept on low cots in one room and two women were in a separate room and many of the locals slept in other corners of the primitive Kark Centre. Though the shooting stars were magnificent, they didn't light the path to the eco sand toilets, which were quite a trek away at the back of the centre. Connect Africa worked through the local pastors and churches to encourage a holistic style of ministry or service into each community uh, in which they have a presence. Simple clean water and sanitation technology are as much a part of their Christian witness as preaching, teaching, and healing the sick. All these aspects of the kingdom of God nestle comfortably alongside one another in their work, without conflict or debate. So that night, Wednesday 17th of June 2009, as part of their offering to the village, Connect Africa hosted one of their occasional three-night festivals on the town's tufted football pitch, bordered not by terracing, floodlights or changing rooms, but by tiny round huts made of straw roofs and cow dung walls, the dwelling place of thousands of internally displaced people. An area the size of a -a five-a-side pitch was roped off in front of the stage, which unfolded out of an old truck, PA, speakers, lights and all. The local believers were invited inside the ropes where they spent two hours worshipping, dancing, and let's be honest, drawing a crowd. That night, the crowd, attracted by their worship, reportedly numbered around 3,000. Unexpectedly, it was then that the carc director quite casually asked us foreigners to lead the evening's festivities, just because we were there. My team looked at me wide-eyed. Just before leaving the UK one by one, they talked openly and vulnerably with one another about the heavy blows that life had recently dealt them. They shared about how tender they were feeling at this particular time in their lives, even to the point of being unsure as to whether they should come on the trip or not. And they confessed how much they lacked confidence even over the relatively simple practical task of the team which was ostensibly merely to observe the water and sanitation programs to which Samaritan's Purse was committed in Uganda. And here I was giving them about 15 minutes preparation to lead a whole evening of power evangelism in front of an audience of 3,000 traumatized people none of whom spoke English. Carl had a guitar which he brought on the trip for team devotionals. And I knew that Tom used to preach. Well, guys, I asked, are you up for it? Carl was happy to lead worship, but Tom said no to preaching. I'm sorry, mate, he said with a strain of defeat all over his face. You know, I used to do that sort of thing, but since my wife was unfaithful and left me, life has fallen apart for me. I left all that sort of ministry thing behind years ago that's why I've got my head down uh, just making money these days I'm sorry mate but I just can't help you tonight now I'm not a pushy guy 99% of the time I would have accepted that answer without question and yet that evening something prompted me to ask again again Tom said no so I said okay Tom no worries but after Carl has done his stuff I'm going to tell a story and then I'm going to turn to you where you're standing in the shadows at the edge of the stage and I'm going to simply ask you, Tom, yes? Or Tom, no? If you say yes, the stage is yours. If you say no, no, I carry on preaching and no one will have any idea what that snippet of conversation was about. In response, Tom just had time to shrug his shoulders at me and with interpreter in tow, we were hustled into position. It was time to start. So I got Carl to belt out some songs. Greatest day in history, oh happy day, huge cheer. We told our audience where we were from, some were from Liverpool, from Manchester, two more huge cheers, big stirrings of intrigue in the crowd. And then I told them all a story. What was the story I told to those 3,000 impossibly pained people of Attiak that evening? Well, as the crowd spilled out in their little mud and straw huts and pressed in to cover the length and breadth of the football pitch and beyond, and a stormy darkness fell over yet another day of abject and lethargic poverty, with all my heart, I wanted that unbelievably bashed, bashed community to dare to dream dreams again. So I simply told them the story of my guilt-ridden and repeated childhood dream. The one about me crossing cultures and standing on a stage to share the love of Jesus with crowds of people. And how as a lad I kept repenting and how God had heard the dream and not the apology. And as I testified and as I looked down on that frail, portable stage... And out into the swollen crowd, slowly an incredible, spine-shivering realisation dawned on me. I'd been here before. It was here. This was it. This was absolutely it. This was the stage. This was the crowd. This was the setting. This was the event. This was the very place I used to see in my dreams in 1963. I had actually seen Atiyak, northern Uganda, and this rickety little platform 46 years previously. Amazing. But I had no time to get too emotional about this extraordinary and supernatural revelation. After all, there were 3,000 people staring at me and waiting for the rest of the meeting. So I finished my story and I turned to gaze. My gaze to the edge of the stage and in a quiet voice I simply asked Tom yes or Tom no. Yes, said Tom and jumped forward to take the microphone from me. Loving nothing better than to help equip and restore people, especially those who have been defeated by disappointments, I was delighted. And do you know what? I don't think I've ever heard anyone preach as powerfully as Tom did that night in Atiak. Hundreds of people asked to receive Christ that evening. Many were healed and delivered from ugly demons that manifested themselves through the writhing bodies on the ground. And my team, the vast majority of whom had never previously witnessed demonic manifestations or been involved in deliverance, certainly not in the way they were happening that night, just had to get on with it. Whatever conclusions their carefully analysed theological viewpoints might have led them to believe up till that point in their lives. They knew that there, writhing and screaming before them was a massive spiritual need. And right there and then, it was going to have to be Jesus or bust. The training I gave to my team on deliverance ministry that night was restricted to one-line instructions yelled out to team members' ears over the commotion as they laid hands on people and prayed. So ugly was the manifestation of one of the demons that one team member physically took a large step backwards in shock, landed on my foot. I pushed him forward again, shouting to him above the din, Ian, if you've ever believed in the name of Jesus, then believe in it now. And in he went again for more. It was an open heaven, quite extraordinary. And after the main event, the evening was scheduled to end quite late with the showing of the Jesus film. We were told that sometimes in this setting, whole families would stay until four in the morning watching film after film. And that night, a huge rainstorm ended the film show early, and the track back to the Kark Centre, with its sand toilet, was paved with puddles. I walked home slowly with Tom, a small torch guiding our way through the pitch black to the concrete floor, which was to be our bed for the night. We were almost silent... I remember saying only one thing. Tom, well done, mate. That took a different sort of faith than you needed for the preaching you used to do when you were young, didn't it? Tom didn't say a word, just shrugged once more, nodded in almost rueful agreement. He knew exactly what I meant. Another man was on the road to restoration. The following morning, an extraordinarily vivid rainbow arced over the horizon, its ends pressed down into fields of sodden maize. It surrounded us, it dwarfed us, it mesmerised us. It seemed that this particular rainbow just would not fade. We packed our vehicle and left the village. And as the bus carefully dipped and splashed its way through deep red puddles of African mud, I stared quietly out of the window. Just how did the miraculous evening uh, events of last night actually happen? My repeated boyhood dream had quite literally and specifically been played out before my, my eyes with 3,000 people looking on. Why now? Why here? And yet again I was forced to reflect on the overwhelming faithfulness and spectacular promises of God. And how, despite my limited abilities, my questionable confidence, and the sheer harmlessness and normality of my life, he had steered me to so many places, introduced me to such extraordinary people, and done such magnificent things for me. Whatever the boundaries, borders, and limits I had set up for myself... God had pushed me through them all. Do you know, I I love the word of God and I love nothing more than God speaking to me specifically and by the Holy Spirit through the scriptures, the word of God. There's such an anchor about it. There's such a security about it there's something eternal there's something solid and lasting from history, present day and into the future about it but I really really need the Holy Spirit to make real for today the life and the word of God some of us I uh, feel more comfortable with the Word. Some of us, and it may just be our personality, our history, our upbringing, somehow feel, or our character, may feel more comfortable with the Spirit. And I, I just sense having, you know, I talk there about dreams and one particular dream that, in a sense, I've carried with me right through my life. And I'd, my sense this morning is that some of us who are really anchored in the faith and anchored in the scriptures, if we're really, really honest, are still a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. It's wacky ground. It's not so safe. It's vulnerable. It's open to interpretation to misinterpretation when we listen to the spirit, so sometimes we close the lid on that box but i'm reminded I'm reminded this morning of two scriptures interestingly one was is it john chapter nine where where jesus says you you look into the Word, but you won 't come to me that you might have life. I think of those faithful people who stand outside the railway station every weekday morning with boards and books to sell about issues of life. They sell you the principles of God as even, where Jesus said. You won't come to me, that you have life. And I'm I'm not into stand up if this is you, really. But sit down if this is you. (laughs) And just make sure you're not afraid of the Holy Spirit this morning. Um, Because there are things, maybe through prophecy, through visions, through dreams, however we interpret them, which is very fundamentally part of the diet of the life, of the relationship that he wants to have with his people. The other scripture that came to mind is Luke chapter 9. You know about the wineskins? And Jesus at the end of that said, you settle for saying the old is good enough. There's something old about the scriptures. It's absolutely wonderful. It's eternal. It's foundational. Forever I will rejoice in the scriptures. But if we're just using them to run back into the safety of the principles of God, then he offers us something more this morning and every day. (laughs) And it's the Living, vibrant Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. So, for those of you who, well, I guess I suppose I spend half my time speaking to those who are anchored in the Word and encouraging them to fly in the Spirit, and maybe the other half of my time getting those who fly in the Spirit to be more anchored <laughs> in the Word. So wherever we are this morning, God can speak to us and speak to me. I would ask you to speak to us, Father, through the word, by the Spirit. Should we just take a moment to pray? To ask God to reveal to our hearts what that means to me. to What do you want the Holy Spirit to do for you today? gently, quietly let the Holy Spirit lead you He wants you to know Him